You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back to The Catalyst, everyone. Today, I am joined by Sophie. She is a strategic idealist, philanthropic innovator, and community creator. Her vision is to transform the corporate sector into a long-term ally for the community sector so that both may benefit. She believes that current approaches to corporate giving and philanthropy are outdated, and as the founder of We Do Something Co., she combines her corporate background with her work as the founder of the nonprofit WeDoSomething.org to design cross-sector collaborations between the corporate and community worlds. Sophie founded WeDoSomething.org in 2015 in response to the refugee crisis. Her goal was to offer an antidote to powerlessness by empowering individuals to do good things about bad news. 18 fundraisers and over $80,000 in donations later, she possesses a thorough understanding of the needs of the nonprofit sector, the power of storytelling, and the art of community building. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. It's so nice to have you. I'm going to dive right in because I am absolutely fascinated by your opinion on change. As some of the listeners know, I do ask this question before guests come on, and you believe that change is a reflection of endlessly evolving power shifts between individuals, social groups, and nations, and that we're in dire need for civil conversations. And in a time where there's a lot changing, and it feels like even more that needs to change, I think civility is definitely in order. And we don't have to look very far to see that people are talking about right versus wrong, which frequently results in kind of an us versus them conversation, and civility is often lost. How has this shaped your opinion on change? I think that we live in a time, and we have for a long time now, in which, you know, and I partly this is due to social media, in which having an opinion is more important perhaps than learning about why things are as they are. I think we're in a moment when we really are looking at issues as in, in a polarizing way. And the harder topics are ones that we don't dare bring up in our personal lives, not very easily anyway. Um, and those topics tend to be handed to the media. We don't deliberately do it, but it's the media that debates for us. So, for example, there are a lot of things that we talk about um, or that we yell at each other about online. Um, whether you actually type what you have to say or not is almost besides the point. There are things that really make us angry online. And those are often the same subjects that we avoid discussing in person. They're so touchy that we actually leave these most important topics to the media or to academics. Those are the two places where you'll have someone actually discussing racism or discussing, you know, subcategories of it, like, you know, cultural appropriation or, um, whatever it might be. And I think that um, we've lost the joy of curiosity because if you took away the pressure um, that we put on ourselves to be right or wrong, knowing that we're going to be attacked if we post the wrong thing, if we took away that pressure of um, having to make up your mind one way or another, what if we could just sort of wallow in the middle space where we can actually start discussing topics 
just for the sake of understanding how people came to their their particular opinion. Why do you think that there is no systemic racism in Quebec? Where does systemic racism come from in Quebec? Like to go to both ends of it and to sit in that middle and really just be curious is where I think we can start to change things and perhaps step away from this increasing us versus them that we see around us. It is increasing. And I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding how to navigate it. A lot of people are censoring themselves. You know, we talk about people kind of yelling at each other on social media. We certainly see that. But on the flip side, we see people not knowing what to say and therefore not saying anything at all on matters that, quite Mm -hmm. frankly, are, are really important to them. And you're on a mission to support people through that kind of middle zone and guide them through very vulnerable moments of change. And you also design experiences that actually empower them to do something about it. Why is that so important to you? It's just always, you know, I I come from an outsider's background. I'm an immigrant to Canada. And um, when I, when I was, I I did a a TEDx talk for We Do Something, the nonprofit. And when I was writing the talk, that's when I realized that most of my family, in fact, all my close family are born in different countries from one another. Mm. You know, like I was born in Rome and then brought up in Buenos Aires in a civil war and then ended up coming here not speaking a word of French. My father was a refugee born as his parents fled Poland. My stepmom was a refugee from Lebanon um, my brother was born in Argentina, like we're all from other places. So I have a deep sense of um, being an outsider. And that doesn't always mean it's negative. It just means that I'm always kind of looking in and watching. Um, and so I'm always interested in who's not included. I, I pay attention to who's not included, because I've sometimes felt not included. Um, even though I'm extremely lucky and privileged, and I'm, uh, you know, a white woman, I'm, I, I'm not complaining, but I have felt it. So for me, you know, with this project that's called Versus, what interests me is that we realize that words like the word versus is a word I love because it sounds like an opposition word, but in versus is the word us. And I think that as we go deeper into the topics that cause versus, that cause opposition, the more we build a stronger us. And and I think a lot of the time, if we can create more of that middle space of those people who don't know how to handle this, who who choose not to participate in the extremes and build up that middle community who say, you know, they can have a perspective. Of course, they don't have to be completely neutral. We're not looking to build, you know, mini mother Teresa's. I'm just saying, is there a middle space in which you can admit what you don't know? Is there a middle space in which you can explore the perspective of something that the media would absolutely lambast you for? How does someone become a white supremacist? How does someone become, um, you know, what is really a hateful person? Where are the experiences? So that we, even if you just approach these conversations in order to sort of innovate on them, um, that's where I'm interested in change, is that change... I'm not interested in doing this, in fact, on the, on the surface just for change. I'm interested in it first to understand. Because if you were to take this out of social issues and just put it, let's say, in a tech context, you can't solve a problem unless you've examined the problem from all angles. And the more we disallow people from exploring perspectives that we think are abhorrent, 
um, the less we know and the less we can actually try and find out where do we go to the root? How can we get to the root in order for less people to be, you know, to hate other people or less people to believe that vaccines are useless, like whatever it might, your issue might be. Yeah, I'm really interested in people being allowed to not know and being allowed to explore with no goal other than to expand their filter bubble. So this project Versus does just that, right? It it creates an opportunity and perhaps even a community where people can expand that bubble, where they can ask questions, where they can have these conversations. Yeah, and I would say, you know, um, not just that, the point is, is it's also to elevate these kinds of conversations. Cause honestly, you know, does anyone really want to go to a conversation which we're going to explore? You know, I keep using racism because it's the most um, relevant topic at the moment, but I mean, how do you make this fun? How do you make it uh, actually like a sort of vitamin for your intellect or something that you actually can't wait to attend? Because the, the thing that happens right now is that if you bring up, Um, if you bring up tough topics like this, you know, a lot of people can feel triggered. A lot of people can feel attacked. Um, people can feel unsafe. So my interest is actually to use all the experience I've amassed with, we do something, the nonprofit in which I designed evenings that brought communities together. So you maybe never have sat at dinner with indigenous, um, people. Maybe you haven't been to dinner with refugees, like us sitting together as human beings, so I want to take my design experience and build unexpected ways of engaging with ideas um, that you actually have fun with. You will feel challenged and you will sometimes feel uncomfortable, but we'll be doing it together. Like I almost feel as though, you know, in my lifetime, like when I was a kid, you know, our, our, our relationships say, let's say to the environment was you could throw your garbage out of the car window on the highway like not even exaggerating. Right. And so our relationship to the environment has changed. Now we would never do such a thing. We recycle and so on. Then our relationship to our physical bodies, it wasn't common for people to work out. It was just certain people who did it. Then Jane Fonda comes along and it becomes this huge thing. Like I'm totally aging myself by admitting this. Um, <laughs> I mean, my mom looked at Jane Fonda, but you know, and then we started talking about things we never talked about out loud in the Oprah era. Now we're talking about the soul and personal intimate relationships. For me, the last piece is, and and now we're into wellness, yoga and meditation. But the part we haven't yet broached on is intellectual resilience. We haven't got in North America a tradition of vigorous discussion. You know, in Europe, people debate at dinner and they raise their voices and the wine sloshes out of their glasses. They wave their arms, but they're still friends and they don't feel personally attacked. And what I find is here in Canada, um, if you are to push a point with someone, it's seen as a personal attack. And I personally think that that's partly because um, we have a different idea of politeness, but also we don't have such a long view of history. So who wants to debate a topic when you don't really have the historical background and you, you only know, you know what happened in the last couple of years, so you don't feel as well sort of equipped So I kind of just want to make it like we bring everyone into the same space. We're going to change spaces each time. People will not necessarily know where the what the where the event will take place. I'm going to throw them off balance a little bit together, but playfully, like we're going to do this together as a group and we're going to feel things. And then I want us to be able to hear different perspectives on a topic. And then I'll be playing with like exploring with you 
where are the pieces, um, where are the ideas that you did, had never thought of before? What did you learn from the other side, if it's still other? And if you had to choose, what in their perspective is the most interesting to you? And what in your perspective do you feel the least comfortable about? Like flipping our perspective. I love yeah, that. Kind of, and I think, you know, honestly, this like, I mean, not to get too sort of, ah, but this is like for democracy to work, we have to be able to stop this increasing divide between us versus them. We complain that political parties are, it's liberals or conservatives, it's Republicans or Democrats. Yeah, we have a Green Party. Yeah, we have this or that. But those are the two. And we're like, oh, isn't it terrible that we just have to sort of these two worlds to choose from? But we are participating. We are we feel that we have to pronounce ourselves one way or another, and we don't raise our hand to say, I refuse. I would like to understand how people get to become this or why you think that. And I don't want people to yell at me and tell me I'm a bad person because I'm curious. So for me, curiosity is courageous. Um, and I really want to build community through these better conversations. Curiosity is indeed courageous. And I think you do a really beautiful job at articulating that in your TED talk as well. And you expand on the idea of, of doing good, of making it fun. And these are topics and realities which in any other context would not be enjoyable to talk about. But what I love about your approach to change is that you're not necessarily empowering people to change per se so much as you are empowering them to expand their minds and kind of leaving the yeah. ball in their court exactly and and really my mission like the sort of motto is i have we don't want to change your mind we just want to expand it i love it so i mean this is something you're clearly passionate about you've spent many years understanding and developing experiences However, this is something that you've been working on, this project versus you've been working on it for the last 10 years. And it's been something that you've been pretty reluctant to put out into the world because of fear. And when I hear the passion in your voice and I can clearly sense that this is something that at your core matters to you, I'm a little shocked to see that it's been kind of under wraps for the better part of a decade. Can you tell us kind of why you have felt that either you have felt afraid to bring it to the world or that it wasn't the right time until now? It's a really good question. I mean, I, I, I think that, um, I think I lacked the confidence in a sense, you know, whenever I bring this idea up, I had a lot of people at first I thought, okay, it can be a debate series, you know? And then I thought, Oh, people, we don't have a tradition of debate. And, you know, again, if people don't feel that they have the sort of information, then they don't feel equipped to debate. And again, it's sort of me versus you. And then I thought, okay, it'll be a TV show and I will go and interview people and I, on, on, who have an opposing viewpoint to mine. But I think I needed to do We Do Something Org. I think I needed to found my nonprofit and um, see my own ability to, to connect people. This is always the same thing, whether, whether I'm talking about my nonprofit or we do something co, which is connecting, you know, as we said, the corporate and the community, I'm really interested in connecting. And I had to flex that muscle. I had to get that sort of superpower working. Um, and now I just see, look, like, you know, we're in a pandemic. People are dying. People are hurting. People are going through. It's fear is 
fear is almost a luxury for me. Like I have everything I need. So I'm ready to try. And all I can do is try. You know, I, I'm not seeing anyone doing this. Um, I mean, I'm seeing projects, that's not true, all over the world of people attempting different versions, but I haven't seen anyone trying to combine like a playful joy with curiosity, with some serious knowledge. Um, and every time I read about how people change, it's always when they haven't been hated. It's always when someone has said, all right, I'm curious. Because curiosity is a shield. Like if someone says, wow, I, you know, I really hate you. You're this, 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 and that. I mean, there's a point where you just don't deal with that and fair enough. But if they say, look, I, I, I think this of you and this, and st to respond to them with questions changes the tone of the conversation. Right. Um, and then there are times when you simply don't have it and that, you know, in the case of just pure hate, it's just not done. But I'm really interested in us changing the world. Honestly, I'm a total idealist and I don't see how we're going to do that if we keep attacking people who are on one side or another and we leave no space for growing the middle. So when emotions are high, especially, you know, if we do feel attacked, if we feel defensive, it can be really hard to flip the switch and put ourselves in this place of being open to playful joy or to curiosity, much less to have civil conversations. And so in those moments when we are either feeling attacked or feeling defensive, how can you suggest that we diffuse the situation and seek to expand our minds in real time? I mean, honestly, if I, I wish I were better at that. I think that's such a human, I think, you know, in these moments when the, that's happening, I think the first thing is to just notice that it's happening and to actually just go, wow, I feel this in my gut, in my chest. I really am pretty angry right now. First you recognize, then I think, um, I think it takes something like 20 minutes for the like adrenaline and cortisol to get through your system before your brain actually comes back to some form of normalcy. Um, so I think it's just understanding like this, I am not at my best at this moment. And if you can remove yourself from it, then you do. But otherwise, you know, it's uh, distracting yourself in some way, taking a breath, breathing is, you know, they say, they always say it, but in some way, whether you physically or just mentally do it is actually stepping back and letting go of your need to be heard any need you have. I need them to hear me. I need to be this. If you can just step away from it for a second, let the blah, blah happen and then try and come back. But if that happens during say one of our talks and I'm hosting a versus, um, I'm going to first, my job is to guide us through it and actually to give people tools to be allowed to feel whatever they need to feel. Um, but the recognizing of how you feel is I think the first place to, to, to start. I am flooded. Um, and we will, we're like, I've designed ways for you to, you know, play your way out of it or feel your way out of it, but just, you know, little tools. Um, but I think the first thing is just to say this will happen, but feeling is not wrong. It's just what you do with it. So we will be in this, we will feel it and then we will get through it and then we will keep going. So that's in the moment, right? And especially, you know, during a, a guided experience where I think, there's a level of security and safety in having these conversations and expressing these emotions and learning, you know, what to do with them. But mm. outside those moments, there's a reality, I think, that our identities are so 
ingrained and intertwined with our beliefs that it can be hard to separate ourselves from what we've either been exposed to or taught or, or accepted as our truth. And I, I know people personally who, who want to change, who want to expand their minds and still have such a hard time separating the two. Do you feel mm -hmm. that in order to accept perspectives that are different than yours, that they need to be separated or can they continue to coexist with that level of curiosity? That's a really excellent question because what you often see is that people don't even want to hear a, a, another perspective because they feel even by giving you the airtime that they're condoning mm. um, what you're saying. You see it, you know, during the Arab-Israeli conflicts or wherever it might be, things become so tough. What I'm really interested in is also during these evenings is actually um, giving us some insight into ourselves. So for us to understand, first of all, on a given topic, are you aware of how you came, like, first of all, how strongly do you feel about it one way or another? And then secondly, do you know why you feel so strongly? Is it coming from what you've read or have you lived something? And what was it? And to bring people back to what was it? To remember the story or stories that brought you to this are very important things because then you can understand, okay, this is my story and you, you have a right to it being your identity, absolutely. But to see how that impacted you, as opposed to saying, this is just who I am. Mm -hmm. Like to sort of just put that little pause between one and the other, and can we in that gap put some curiosity? You still hold, nobody wants to change your identity or how you came to this, just for you to be aware of why it feels so strong and emotional and hits you in the gut. So, and then also maybe exploring bias. Um, exploring the many ways, like this is in my, this is in my sort of my secret goal in this too, is to educate us about media. You know, do you notice that when you read an article, let's say we're talking about the Arab-Israeli conflict, do you notice um, whether you see the word, um, or even during the, the Black Lives Matter protest, is it a protester or is it a rioter? Um, mm. Is this a, is this a terrorist act or is this a protest act? Like depending on who wrote it, the words that are used to describe is this, you know, the words that are used to describe the events bias you. And we don't necessarily notice. We think bias happens to everyone else. So when I take a topic, what I'm interested in doing is diving into the way it's been shown and to sort of show, hey, did you see the change in words? Like, do you know that if you Google Black Lives Matter, depending on where you are in the world, what kind of computer you use, what last songs you listen to or Google Maps you used, all those things affect the search results you will get. And they won't be the same as your neighbor. So when you think you're, you're searching um, a subject for a subject or, or an article on a certain topic, you think you're making choices, but your choices have been pre-made for you. So in fact, you've, you're not exposed to things that don't fit your existing beliefs. We are force fed our own point of view. So part of this process and part of versus is for me to first start it by explaining how that works. So that when we get to the time of starting to talk about the tricky topic, we are all a little bit like humbled perhaps and a little bit more open than we might be because you're no longer as responsible for what you believe and so on. Like I'm going to just take you a step away from having to defend and stand for it because in some ways we're all the same. We're, con we're consuming news in the same ways with different results. 
I think that's incredibly powerful and gives us reason to pause and even just think in the last week, what is it that we've consumed that has perhaps perhaps shaped our opinion, formed a belief, or even sparked some curiosity? And you know, we talk about media from a news perspective, but when it comes to civil conversations, any kind of conversations really, social media is a part of the equation that we just can't ignore. And it can be a real challenge to express intellectual curiosity and initiative or even contribute to an uncomfortable conversation because we feel like it's going to be misconstrued. And how do you think that we can promote those types of conversations on social media when so much context gets lost and there are, you know, keyboard warriors waiting to pounce on your every post? Well, I, I really do feel it's, that's again, another good question. And I, I mean, one of the questions I've asked myself with this project is, should I just start by doing, uh, you know, a media, like how to pop your own filter bubble? Should Mm. maybe that's where we should start because you know, a lot of people don't know something that I found really interesting is that in the U.S. and this probably got something similar for Canada, but in the U.S. there used to be something called the Fairness Doctrine. So the federal, you know, um, commission for um, broadcasting demanded, like it was in 1949 and it was taken down in 1987, it demanded that all broadcasters, and of course we didn't have 6,000 channels plus the internet, so anyone who was broadcasting on television or the radio had to A, um, discuss topics that were of societal interest, even if they were tough topics, and B, they had to show two sides of a topic. Like you couldn't air a story unless you were going to air show two sides of the subject and they had to touch on topics that would affect the society whereas now we can just you know certain channels will ignore certain topics so when that was banned in 87 that's when you know media channels like fox started that's when channels that would be devoted to pure editorializing could come up i i just don't think we we know enough to realize that we too are part of this issue We keep thinking it's someone else. And the more we understand how we contribute to creating our own filter bubbles, but also how, in how many ways we don't and and almost have no control, um, the more we perhaps will be, I don't know, considerate or curious about, hey, like, what are you reading that you come up with that? But to answer your question, is social media the place to do it? I think there is space for everything on social media. It's just how do you how do you slowly build it? Um, but I do believe these conversations have to take place in person. I do really feel that being in the same room with someone, and I, I was the same with my nonprofit, being in a room with people makes it so much harder to dislike or hate them. It does remind you the first step to any kind of exercise of exploration or especially you know, exploring tough concepts is to remember that the other person in front of you has um, is a person. Hostage negotiators, it's one of the first things they do. I was reading it. They find common ground with the hostage taker. And finding common ground is what makes it much harder for the walls to go up. It's funny. I actually watched a masterclass on hostage negotiation and how it was pulled through oh, wow. into sales. And it's like, yeah, that you cannot forget that these are people that you're dealing with. And the sooner you can come to yeah. terms with that and understand that there are emotions, there are beliefs, there's 
you know, sometimes decades of preconceived notions on the other side of what you're speaking to yeah. that, that you're, I don't want to say, you know, dealing with, but that, that they're bringing are. to the conversation. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I think with anything we do, it's like, you know, that's why I'd like these sort of these moments together. They're, they're, they'll be about the topic, but first we need, you know, as you say in French, like you have to lay the table, like let's, let's set the table first, because first I want you to know the people in the room are, are also human beings. I want you to know one another and enjoy one another. Then I want you to learn a little about like, how does bias affect your life? Because again, we never think it's ourselves, myself included. And then third is, okay, let's dive in and play. And I'm going to ask unexpected questions of what you've heard that will flip your usual way of being like, well, see, I'm right. Because we just tend to look for what we're, you know, for the information that shows that we're right. And I, again, I just want to make this fun. Like it doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be academic. It doesn't have to be torture or some kind of adult homework. This is really stimulating where you walk out and I want people to walk out and be like, wow, I have learned something and I find this so interesting. And after that, my hope is that they've had enough of a, like you've planted a, a seed of civility so that the next time someone has the opposing viewpoint, you don't have to have shifted and agree with them, but you might understand a little better where they come from. And that is a beginning. And then the second part is that maybe you'll be a little more curious about how they feel and why they said what they said and what are the societal or economic factors that contribute to them building this perspective. If you look at, look at Trump, I mean, look at the Trump voting issue. Trump voters are not horrible people. They're just not. I've interviewed some and, you know, the way they justify it is you know, they have, there are certain factors about Trump that they like. The rest, they say, well, of course, he's rude, he's this, he's misogynistic, but that's not why we voted for him. We are human beings and we filter out what doesn't fit because we need to find a way to remember that we're good people, but we aren't, you know, you and I aren't the only good people. There's good in everyone. Um, and again, I am not saying that we should be, that, you know, that people should put up with like pure racism, racism and hate. I won't give space to that. But how do we get to these places of extremes is what I'm interested in. And even during this Black Lives Matter debate, you know, there are people who've said things like, well, all lives matter. Well, I'm just going to admit right here that even though I work with refugees and indigenous communities, I used to wonder, oh, but why isn't it all lives matter? And I had a friend sit me down and say, well, this is, and start explaining it to me. And now I, I'm the girl who's writing to people who write, well, why all lives matter? Mm -hmm. And I'm writing to them and saying, hey, here's a link to the Wikipedia. This is where Black Lives Matter came from. Here's why it's Black Lives Matter right now, because these lives have been considered lesser in every possible way. So why, instead of attacking, can we build space for people to not know things and to explore perspectives? And then you let them do what they need and you do not tell them what to do. But we have to plant these seeds, I think, and make it joyful somehow. So how do you pull the needle through? I mean, we've got Versus, we've got We Do Something, the nonprofit, we've got We Do Something Co. What is it that kind of strings them all together? Um, I think I, I'm a, I'm a, I've sometimes called myself an impatient idealist. Um, <laughs> I can relate. Me, yeah, I know you can. Exactly. There are a lot of us. It's great. Um, 
I think it's taken me so long to figure out what I wanted to do when I grow up and how to take this sense of feeling of like sort of outside and use it as what brings people inside. I'm really interested in connecting um, people. Like if the nonprofit is about connecting individuals to communities um, and to nonprofits that need to be known and supported. And the We Do Something Co is a consulting business to connect companies to nonprofits and community organizations. They need each other and they do not know each other. And there's this old idea of what it means to do good in a corporate world. And then Versus is connecting ideas so that eventually we can connect communities. Like my hope is that one day these Versus become, maybe we'll do innovation labs where we've dived into a subject so deeply, a social topic that we used to think was unsolvable. And maybe we'll start coming up with ways that we can not solve them, but at least address certain aspects of them in order to lessen like their destruction. So it's connection. I'm really, we need to talk to each other more. We need to know each other. I, there's a beautiful quote that Glennon Doyle posted somewhere and she said, it was something like, the bravest thing we can do is introduce people to one another. Introducing ideas to one another. And, but first you lay the table for people to feel safe together. So for those who are listening and are thinking, this is what I need, is what I need in my life, it's what I need in my business, it's what I need in my community. How can they get in touch with you to learn more? Um, I am currently building, we do something.org um, is our website. Right now, it only talks really about the nonprofit. There's a new one under construction. So we do something.org. There's also um, we do something on, on Instagram. Or you can just email hello at wedosomething.org. Um, and if you're interested in participating in a future versus, or you want information about a future, um, about We Do Something Co., uh, any of them, that would be the way to go. Hello at wedosomething.org is the best way to do it. Incredible. I will be sure to include those in the show notes. Sophie Tarnowska, everyone. Sophie, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. It was such a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.